and we couldn't. And, you know, we have so many people who make this hour happen uh, before you come in this room, when you're in this room, kids who are, who are learning about the love of Christ right now. And, and uh, that's what this series has been about, Cars, Chairs, and Children. To make a Sunday happen, it takes this combination of cars, place for people to park without thinking they're going to get dinged, or waiting too long in the parking lot afterward. Uh, children, there's a safe place for my kids to hear the dangerous message of Jesus' love. And then chairs is what we're focusing on today, the power of what can happen in a chair. Before I get into that, a couple things. Uh, I know next Saturday I'll be running the Cancer Crush with my two grandsons, trying to keep up with them. And I'm excited about that. We would love for you to join us in our traditional, we, we, we pray through the names of everyone who's being served right now. And it's just a moment you don't want to miss. Uh, cancer Crush has served 695 cancer survivors and families since its inception in 2011. 27 states, 260 communities across the United States. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing how Dave Sharp got cancer and went through it and said, no one should go through cancer alone. And boom, here we are, 13, 12 years later, Cancer Hope is having this amazing impact. We want you to be a part of that where you can say, I played a role in, in crushing cancer. That's next Saturday. Uh, and something else logistically, many of you know Levi Crowley. Levi was, uh, he was our creative arts leader for a while a long time. He was just a fantastic worship leader. And last year, he just I just need to take a break from ministry. I need to figure out, you know, whether I really want to scratch this carpentry itch that I have. And uh, he is doing that right now. But Levi is, is coming back to lead us in worship. And uh, yeah, uh, once a month. And then like this summer, he'll be up teaching three times. So Levi, with our other teachers, will be teaching every once in a while. So when he comes, he wasn't able to be here today because we were going to do this together. When he comes, just give him a raucous welcome, will you? Because I said the prodigal has come home. You know, the prodigal has come home. Yeah. Um, I'll be going away for a, a break a little bit, a little, a little sabbatical time. We want those of you, so many of you are new here and you wonder, hey, what happened to that McMahon fellow? He hasn't been around for a while. And the reason I do that is because um, the main reason senior pastors really get jibby with their walk and their role is because our identity gets way too wrapped up in our church. And so we started doing this 20, 25 years ago where I lose my job for a number of weeks so that I can detach from my identity to be wrapped into you. And I think it's a huge reason why I'm still here is because I just say, time out, I'm, I'm losing my job. I'm losing my job. And I've had summers where I couldn't read the New Testament because it reminded me of church too much. I had to just stay in the Old Testament because I just needed to take a, a detachment. And that doesn't mean I'm special. It does mean that we're aware of the catalytic role that the lead pastor in a church plays. And uh, so after this weekend, I'll be gone for just a little bit. But we have an exciting summer we are starting, so, so today always is in our minds, we're amping up to the last weekend in August when Big Splash will happen. And it is, uh, with all due apologies to Christmas and Easter, it is the highlight of our year around here, if you've never experienced it, where it's always hot and sunny. Thank you, Lord, for late August, hot and sunny, when we baptize people out there 
you know, on the other side of those walls. And uh, this, in a few weeks, we'll start a series that we're going to go through all summer through 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5 and the New Covenant Review. What's The reason people struggle with faith is because a lot of the church today still practices old covenant practices when that's been fulfilled. And we, we are part of a new testament, a new covenant that the Hebrew writer said is better than the old one. It's better than the old one that has been fulfilled. And so we're going to teach through that in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5 this summer, and we want you to be a, a part of that. Also remember, as we close this series out today, for this room alone, we need camera operators. That's the top priority. We need switchers for live editing. We need those of you who can do graphics, computer uh, operators, and we need stage managers. So if you, you know, you, even you saw Les Barnett bring that chair out, there's a role that our stage managers play. They, I call them my would-be. They're my comfort blanket because if something goes wrong, man, Les will be out here and he'll, you know, take care of something. And so we, if you, if you want to say, I want to be a part of making this hour happen, those are some openings. We really need parking lot volunteers. If you love telling people what to do, with grace, of course, with grace and truth, then we would love for you uh, to, to be a part of our parking team. Um, I think in heaven, God's going to bless our parking lot volunteers with 72 and sunny. I think because, you, I mean, I'll see, you know, Roy comes in and he's got the parka on because he's out there, you know, so we see this and uh, it's just such a critical role, as you know. And then, of course, children's ministry. We can never have too many people who serve our children. I walked past the rooms a little bit ago coming in here and I just saw three or four people that I know personally for many years have been serving back there 10, 15, 20 years and just loving kids, and great is their reward in heaven. We'd love for you to be a part of that. You can just go to the information counter and, and put your name in the hat. But to close this series, I want to introduce you to someone that many of you know, and uh, she is a living stone building the house of God at Southbrook, but it's her family uh, are so special to us because uh, you know they've been serving for so long. Mike and Beth Matthews have had an amazing impact and uh, we absolutely love them and their children, Sammy and, and Brian, and, and uh, they're expanding. We just, we just treasure them, but you want to hear her story. And so our leadership development project manager, Beth Matthews, would you give her a warm welcome, Southbrook, to the stage right now? Yeah. Is that good? I didn't embarrass you too much? No, I'm good. Okay. Okay, I do paper, I don't do iPads, and I need it here for me because I don't do this a lot and I'm a little bit nervous, so <laughs> bear with me here. Um, I watched Charlie kick off this teaching series a few weeks ago and he explained why we do what we do here at Southbrook. And our mission here is to connect people to Christ and not to religion. And that means we're here for the people who've been hurt by religion or confused by religion, maybe people who haven't attended church or people who stopped attending church or maybe the people that haven't felt good enough to come into a church at all. And like Charlie just said, in order to do that and to accomplish our mission, we need an army of volunteers to do it. And I know it's so easy when you hear people talk about volunteering to think, here we go again, they're always asking for something from me. Why can't I just come here, attend the service, leave, come back the next week, attend the service again and leave? And you can absolutely do that 
But I've got to tell you, if you do that, you'll be missing out on so much. Because we really don't want something from you when you volunteer. What we want more than anything is we want something for you. We want you to be needed and known here at Southbrook. 20 years ago, Mike and I walked through the doors of Southbrook for the first time. Um, our kids were young. Sammy was five and Brian was three. And we said we were doing it for the kids. We needed to go back to church for the kids. But what we didn't realize is that God's plans were so much bigger than that. Back then, we were the people this church existed for. Today, we call the ones that this church exists for Southbrook's Heather and Heathcliff. But back in 1995, you could have called them Southbrook's Mike and Beth. And for me, the path to getting to know Jesus better and growing in my faith was through volunteering. I was never going to be a person who would go into a small group. I needed to be something who could do something. So for me, it was through volunteering, and it all started by saying yes to an invitation to serve. We'd only be attending Southbrook for a few weeks, and literally just a few weeks, and we got a cold call, a cold phone call, from a pastor at Southbrook named Mike Smith. He was calling us, asking us if we consider joining a new team he was starting, calling the First Impressions team. I think he was calling every single person that came to Southbrook at that point in time. Um, the First Impressions team were the people who would, who would greet the guests, um, take up the offering. Back then, we served bagels. And for whatever reason, my husband Mike and I said yes. And because of that, we got to know an incredible man named Mike Smith. Then, at one point, I was reading in the church bulletin when they existed back then. And they were looking for people who would be willing to help out with a party they were going to throw for the kids at Easter time. They said, contact Sherry McMahon. So I love events. I thought I can do that. I reached out to Sherry. She gave me a a little job to do for the event, and through that, I met Sherry McMahon. Then not too long after that, I think Charlie was probably standing up on the stage, and he was explaining that we were going to be rebranding and updating our children's ministry, and we were going to call it Harvest Land, and they were looking for people to help with that. So I showed up for that, and I was assigned a job to paint one of the classroom doors. And by doing that, I met Paul Wilkins. Then not too long after that, Mike and I decided that we wanted to invest more in the Harvest Land Children's Ministry because it was impacting Sammy and Brian so much. So we wanted to give back. And through that, I met and got to know Rita Hauser much better because she was my room coach. Then eventually, Sherry McMahon approached me and said, we're going to be starting a new program for the kids called the After School Club program, and would I consider taking a leadership position as a volunteer in that program? Well, I said yes to that, and because of that, I got to know Sherry McMahon and Kathy Glista even better. And all of these people, and even more people that I met when I was serving, had a major impact on me. They accepted me as I was. They answered my questions. They modeled for me what it was to actually live life as a Christian. 
and they had my back. And so many of them became lifelong friends. I was contributing, I had ownership, and I belonged. I was needed, and I was known. This is when I have to look down because I'm nervous again. <laughs> I was bought in, and I was committed. Mike was committed. And because of that, it completely changed our lives. And it changed the trajectory of our entire family. People were investing in Sammy and Brian. And one of the things that happened was um, serving and loving people became part of our family DNA. And I am so grateful to Southbrook for that. And that's why I'm so passionate about serving here. And it's my hope that I can do for the people behind me what the people ahead of me did for me. There are so many people that walk it, are walking through our doors this today, and I know very few of you, but I have to believe that some of you are the same as me, and you've got something burning, yearning, or churning inside of you that you don't completely understand. So I want to really encourage you and challenge you to step out and do something, because that something might change your life. Because like I said, we all want something for you. And more than anything, I want something for you too. Beth told this, her story at staff meeting a number of months ago, and I said, Beth, you know the reward for doing something well in front of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which has happened so many times, yeah. right? And um, so to that, Heather Heathcliff sitting in that chair right now saying, there's no way God can use me. There's no way God can use me. What would you say? What I would say is, I'm still saying there's no way God can use me <laughs> because we all think we have to be perfect and have it all together, and none of us have it all together. And by just stepping out and saying, God, here I am, use me, take me as I am, and then he just works on us little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit, and um, life gets better and better. Thank you. Let's give it up for Beth Matthews. Thank you. We, uh, we, we're, we, we, we don't usually do a vision series in, in the spring. It's usually something we'll do in the, in the fall or the winter, but we had to do it. We, I was just interviewed by a Christian magazine last week about why is Southbrook growing so much? You know, churches aren't recovering quickly from COVID. And um, I said, well, here's, here's my take on it. I said, first of all, I said, we have an army of volunteers that a number of months ago said, we are going to get on our knees and pray. And so there will be people in the prayer room. There are right now. There will be people this morning in the prayer room praying for you. And I think that's the first reason. But I said, the other reason is we have a bunch of people, and Beth and Mike would be one of those people who just, they, don't, they own the mission. They are the mission. They don't, they're not a part of the mission. They're not a part of the church. They see themselves. I am the church. <laughs> I, and, and they're taking that seriously. And, 
And we want you to, to today to be that where you cross that line and you go, oh, it's no longer, oh, I like Southwark's mission. It's, I am the mission. I am leveraging my life to connect people to Christ. Not religion. And I'll get into that right now. Now, it's a really interesting thing from up here. Beth just saw it, and I see it. That, that what happens in these chairs is really fascinating. Uh, I would boil it down to three. I would boil it down to three happenings in this chair. The first one is very rare. Try to move me. Try to move me. Try to change my life. Try to tell me something I don't already know. Just go ahead and try. And so we get that. You know, I'm here because my husband made me come. My, what, you know, I'm here. I don't want to be here. And boy, do some of you say it loudly. Oh my gosh, you have no idea how loudly you say it. And, and, and there's a little nuance to this one. There's this one, and then there's. Which I'm ticked. And if you cross the line, buddy, you're in trouble. And it's terrible when it's your wife who's doing that. <laughs> it's really, which a few weeks ago that happened. And anyhow, uh, not going back into that. Um, just know that if you weren't here, it was a top 10 mistake in my career, okay? It was a top 10 mistake. So, uh, yeah. And, and then there's, and then there's, uh, and then there's this. Open your bottle of wisdom and I will drink every drop. You know, there are those of you who look at me like, oh my gosh, I, I just, I just, I could, I could listen to you read the phone book. You know, there are those of you, there's like two or three of you. Okay, there are two or three of you like that. But the, well, the neat thing about this place is because it's not a religious place where, okay, I got to be here. There are very few people who come here to clock in. Because you re, you don't you're not sure it's a real church anyway, so you're not sure it's going to count, you know. So you're not even sure it counts. So very few. We do have though. We do have people who they'll get here a half an hour late for the eleven, and it's so they can know I was here, I clocked in. But but there are those of you who I I you know the, the majority of you sit there and you go, what does God? I'll see this. What does God have to say to me today? What does God have to say? And I love that. I love that. I, I, I really want to get to this gal, you know. I want to get to her and say, what's going on? But what can happen in a chair is amazing. There are no ordinary Sundays. And for someone here today, there, there is a Beth Matthews sitting out there right now. Right now. And... Um, you know, 25 years from now when I'm still up here at 86 and, uh, you know, doing this and you're and you're she's up here telling her story that Heather. What? What what is like, what's one statement that condenses the importance of that event of cars, chairs and children? What like if you have two of the three, you're not going to hit on all cylinders. It's a three cylinder engine. What, what, what is it about? I want you to see a verse. The early history of the church, the first decades of the church is recorded by the historian Luke in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. It's really the Acts of Jesus through his spirit is what it is. 
And there's this statement in Acts 15, 19, where James, the brother of Jesus, we studied his letter this winter, said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let's not add stuff that makes it harder. This is already hard enough. Agreed? Let's not make stuff up that makes people jump through hoops that are unnecessary. And that's the essence of what we've tried to do is the church by nature. What we have in the gospel is what every human being is looking for. Every human being is looking for this transformative grace and truth that builds community and adds purpose and me. I'm just, every human being is actually looking for this. All you have to do is remove the obstacles. And so what I want to do in this remaining time is show you the context of that statement and the method behind our madness of why we do what we do and don't do stuff we could do. But we don't. And there's a reason. So look at this, Acts 15.1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Now stop there, because what was happening in Antioch? Paul and Barnabas had been in Antioch converting Gentiles, non-Jewish people who had no Bible background, who didn't follow the Mosaic law at all, and they're coming to Christ. And the, they're called Judaizers. Hear about this. Judaizers were Jewish folk, usually authority figures who accepted Christ, and now here's what they wanted to do. They wanted to religiousize the gospel. Look what happens. They said, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Everybody knows what circumcision is, right? I don't need to have an R-rated sermon here today. But that was the sign God gave Abraham of the covenant. The old covenant, that was the old covenant was to Abraham was circumcision. That was what would set Israel apart. I don't know how they knew, but they did. And, and the, the, the powerful thing about this, people, what the, what's that about? What's that about? It's about the seat or, or the, the physical manifestation that we're made in the image of God is our procreative abilities. And so at the seat of that, God says, you're mine. And these Gentiles who had not been circumcised are coming to Christ. And now these Judaizers come in and go, you can't be a Christian unless you're circumcised. Now I can imagine, I guarantee you there was one guy there going, who was a Gentile Christian going, could somebody have told me this before I signed up for this thing? <laughs> okay, could somebody have let me know that this is, like this is a bait and switch. The switchblade. If you know, it's like what? This is this is not good. And I, can you imagine how many guys are like, "Honey, I'm dropping you off at the door, but I'm gonna stay in the parking lot right now, okay?" For this one. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to the mothership, Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. It was the it was the it was the headquarters of the early church to see the apostles and elders about this question. Now, what's at stake here is does Christianity become just another sect of Judaism and it is just a complicated thing where you got to run through nine hoops to be a Christian. You got to become one of us first or you can't be a follower of Jesus. And so the church sent them on their way and they traveled through 
Gentile territory, Phoenicia and Samaria. Where did Jesus talk to the woman at the well? Samaria. Why? Because he took the gospel to Gentile people. Now, if you don't understand this, this is radical stuff. This, this like, so, so Gentiles and Jewish Christians being together would be like, take a, take a far left, liberal, San Francisco American is now, they're now in community with a far right, fundamentalist, Middle Eastern Muslim. That's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, they're in community together. They have found community in repentance and coming to Christ. And their ideologies are totally destroyed. What they thought, what faith was about. This is what's going on here. It would be, I am not exaggerating. It would be the equivalent of that happening in our time right now. And so he says, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, the, the Jewish religious leaders the, who made up part of the Jewish Supreme Court, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now this is, this huge things are at stake here. Galatians 3.26 says this, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith and circumcision. Is that what it says? Through faith. You showed that, you were baptized into Christ, and you've clothed yourselves with Christ. So he's writing to, look at this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You are recipients of the promise fulfilled in the old covenant. It's fulfilled now through Christ and heirs according to that promise. So what you're seeing here, right here is at stake, is the first multicultural, multi-ethnic movement in the history of the world. Where there is no racism. There is no classism. There's, there's not much ism to it. It's Christism. That's the only ism. Nobody says, picks up, verse 6. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Now, you got to understand, Jewish folk called Gentiles dogs, pigs, filthy pigs, fit for the fires of hell. You have to understand, the schism was huge between Jew and Gentile. And he's inviting them into this new movement God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. Acts 10, Peter preaches the gospel to Gentiles like Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. God had never done that before. God had never given non-Jewish people the gift of his spirit. And, and he did this. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith, not by any religious action, and now then, why do you try to test God? By putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. This is the interesting thing. You guys didn't even keep the law well. I mean, you didn't do it well. And this is what happens with, with faith is church people get a hold of it and they start making people do stuff that they don't do. <laughs> they can't even keep. No, we believe it is through the grace of of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Would you say that sentence with me, Southbrook? We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. 
And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. You see, what's at stake here is the Jewish folk said religion means earning God's favor by keeping the law. It's what you do. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, no, Christ means surrendering ourselves to the grace of God given as a gift to us. It's what he has done. That's what changed the human soul. And this is at stake here. Who's going to win? What's well, really interesting, because we studied James's letter in the winter. Look at verse 13. When they finished, James spoke up. Now, he was E.F. Hutton. Some of you remember that old commercial, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. It used to be that way anyway. And, and James, he has this immense informal authority. He's the brother of Jesus who did not believe in Jesus until he was resurrected from the dead. One of the hardest, hardest to dispute evidences for the resurrection and the deity of Jesus is his brother who didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. And then he would eventually give his life for that claim. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name for the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. That is written. If you'll, read the, if you'll read the Older Covenant, look at this. Amos chapter 9. After this, I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. This is a prophecy that Jesus is the new temple. He, the temple has been torn down. We've lost it. But Jesus is coming to fulfill all of this, and he's going to be the temple that brings in Jew and Gentile alike. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Don't complicate this. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from three things. Let's, let's come together on this. Let's all agree that it would be good for them to abstain from food polluted by idols. So, so in that day, in their idol worship, the false temples, they would take meat, sacrifice it. Some of it would be left over, and people say, hey, priest, take this, or some of you take it home, and you can re-eat it. And the early Christians, they, they said, nah, we don't want to do that. It's just, in, in our minds, it's defiled, and this fits with Moses' law, so we're, we're, just, we're just not going to do that. We're just not going to eat meat def- that, that has been sacrificed to an idol. And so the, 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 the non Jewish Christians were like, what's the big deal, man? If it's a buck 99 at Kroger, let's eat it. And they said, would you guys be willing to give that up? Romans 14 talks about this. You give things up out of love sometimes, don't you? That's what it means to love. And then secondly, secondly, he says, to abstain from sexual immorality. In that Greco-Roman world, it was anything goes with sex. And the only new virtue that Christianity brought to the world tells you why it is so critical to be sexually pure. The only new virtue that Christianity brought to the world was sex is between a man and a woman in marriage. That, that was radical in that day. You think it's radical now? I mean, it was radical in that day. Pornea is the word. Pornea is sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And I could, we, could just, we probably ought to do a whole series on why that is. It's not that God's trying to spoil all the fun either. And they said, let's, let's all agree on that one because this is, this is one of the ways we're radically changing this world. And then the third one is meat strangled, meat of strangled animals and from blood. The Jewish folks said, you know, the, the life of the body is in the blood. And 
and the Mosaic law said, don't strangle animals. Make sure before you eat it, you drain the blood because it is sacred. This was a sign of Jesus' blood pouring out. And this is a real sensitive thing for our Jewish brothers and sisters. So would you agree? Don't do that. Give that up. Give that up. And we don't get the rest of the story today. But if you read on, they did that out of love. And the church became this community of in Christ. There's no Jew nor Gentile. <laughs> this is, there's no Republican or Democrat. There's no white collar, blue collar. There's no PhD in common sense people. We're all one in Christ. <laughs> That's amazing. That's what's amazing. This is like what the world's looking for. So here's the question that I, that, that, uh, I have for you, South Brooker, to close this series out. As I sit in my brown chair every week, am I too much like the Judaizer Christians and I just don't really care about Gentile non-Christians? I don't really care. I'm saved. I'm in. Good luck to them. Because if that's you, this isn't the place for you. You see, Jesus invited outsiders and offended insiders. So I just offended some people right now. So I was Jesus-like right there. Did you just see that? So that's what he did. Now, a lot of times what happens is the church does the opposite. It coddles insiders and repels outsiders. And that's called a dead church. That's a dead church. And what you have to ask yourself is do, am I really more like the Judaizer Christians than I would care to admit? I really don't care. I really don't care about the lost. My heart doesn't break for Heather and Heathcliff. I don't care. I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got a cat to feed every day and take care of, and that's a major job right there, taking care of cats. Do you, know the, do you know the story of the prodigal son? Does everybody here know that? Has everybody heard that story? So Jesus is eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, and the Pharisees come to him and say, what are you doing? You're supposed to be a holy man. You're eating with these lowlifes. And Jesus said, let me tell you a story. No, let me tell you three. A lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. And what people don't know about the parable of the prodigal son is this. People don't realize that the prodigal son story is not about the prodigal son. It's about the older son. Because he didn't care. So when the prodigal, you guys know it, he takes his father's inheritance and he spends it on wild living. He eats, he eats with sinners and pigs. He eat, literally eats with the pigs, which is symbolic of eating with the Gentiles. He's, he's unclean. He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't care about his father. And then one day he has a moment of clarity and he comes home. And the father is waiting for him, but the older brother's not waiting for him, is he? Because the point of the prodigal son story is you think that the, the story is about how lost the prodigal son is. That's not who it's about. The story is about the fact that the older brother is more lost than he is. Because he thinks he's close and he's so far. When the father says, give him the ring, give him the robe, give him the fatted calf. 
The older brother says, this is ridiculous. I've been here this whole time. And you're changing service times on me again? How dare you offend me that way? And here, here's, here's the point of the, the point, the point of the prodigal story, the, the amazing thing. The reason that it's the story of stories is that it's the whole gospel. That Jesus is the older brother we all need. That's what he is. He ate with the pigs. The gens- he, he ate with the tax collectors and sinners. He searched like a good shepherd for the one lost sheep. And he put his arm around you when you came home. And he said, look at my daughter. Look at my son. She was lost and now she's found again. Jesus is the older brother that we all need. And Jesus is the older brother we want to be like, isn't he? Do we really want to be the older brother? Says, I can't believe they do that in church. Do we really want to be that person that just doesn't care, that this is, you clock in, you do your, you do your church thing, it doesn't really change you? John Gerstner, the theologian, said, the thing that really separates us from God is what the older brother shows. It's not so much our sin, but our damnable good works. You just, you stay in the religious cycle. I don't really need this grace because I'm pretty good. I yield to people on the interstate. I mean, you ever see somebody do that and they're like, yeah, Barney Fife, I just did just such a great thing. I yielded on the interstate. I mean, you watch people. It's amazing what people consider a good person. Like, I'm, I'm going to heaven because I yield on the, I mean, I, I did, a guy did this for me the other day. I was like, I don't, you don't have any brownie points for yielding to me. You just did what you're supposed to do. And, and that's what older brothers do is like, I, I don't really need this. And it's our damnable good works. Tim Keller said it this way. It's your goodness that makes you miserable. It's your goodness that it's the heart of all the problems. It's your self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the cause of racism. It's the cause of classism. It's the cause of family breakdown. But when you've been broken by grace, there's no racism. There's no classism. There's no we're better than. We don't do that in our family. We don't do that in our church. Because what we're about is putting our arm around the shoulder of lost sons and daughters and saying, welcome home. Because I was that son, were you? I was that son. Jesus is the older brother we all need. That's the point of the story. And he is, he is the one standing before the council on circumcision, which I just love saying that. Council on circumcision. What a conference. I'm, where are you going to a conference, honey? I'm going to the conference of circumcision. I'm going, that's where I'm going. And, he's, and Jesus is the one standing going, no, we can't make this harder than it already is. <laughs> it's too important that they know grace. Grace that saves us from our own goodness. And by the way, if your faith doesn't include a joy and a dancing and a, a singing that this grace thing, you know, it's just so amazing, then you're either the younger son still stumbling over your own sin and keeping you from God, or you're the older brother and your goodness is keeping you from God, and it's just a religion to you. Only the humility and the breaking that comes from, he did this for me, he died for me, 
I am so sinful that I can't even comprehend it, but I am at the same moment so loved that I can't even believe it. Are you kidding me? No one will ever have to ask you to volunteer ever again. That's what grace does. I am now connecting people to Christ. Not older brother religion. And that's the last time I'm going to say that this summer. Let's pray. Father, as we close this series, I'm just more amazed than ever. We do this so wrongly. We make so many mistakes. And yet grace upon grace, praise upon praise, it's even in our brokenness and weakness that your grace becomes evident. So I pray that Southworkers today walk out of here ingesting grace. As Paul said, be rich in grace. As Peter said, grow in grace. We ingest it every day. It is our fuel. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ abundant. That we invest with grace. We invest in our movement because it is the progenitor of this amazing grace that the world needs. And we invite because of grace. I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. I was an older brother and you have broken me. You have broken me, Jesus. You have made me the older brother that everyone needs. The one that you are. Communion is in the room. May we ingest grace and walk in grace. It'll change us in how we handle money and sex and power. It will change the world. And in Jesus we pray. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Walk in grace.